It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome to Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged. I'm your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist L. Joy Williams. And I am so happy that you made it to class this morning to be with me this Sunday morning. Hope you are feeling great. You get some sunshine. You get to actually enjoy your weekend. I know things are opening back up. For a number of us, it has been opening back up for some time, but please stay safe. Continue to do what's in your best interest. Follow your common sense in protecting yourself and your family. Here in New York, things are opening up and businesses and they're trying to tell people to come back. And now kids can go back to school without masks and everything. This is all what we dreamed of. We had all hope to get back to this space. And, you know, some of us will be creeping along, just peeking out of the hole and making sure everything is okay. And hopefully we don't all have to scurry back (laughs) inside. So with that, we're going to talk about the Constitution today. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about the Constitution. And I know, don't turn, don't turn. I'm t- I promise you this will not be a boring conversation. But first, I wanted to ask you, do you know how to actually amend the Constitution? Because there is a process for that. In the Constitution, there is a process for amending the Constitution. And we've, we've done it a couple of times, just a couple. Congress starts off the process and they submit a proposal and they have to agree on the language and it has to be approved by a two-thirds vote of both houses. And, you know, you can follow along. We'll share out the resources. It passes Congress. Then they do a notification to the states. And there is this position that we're going to hear about the National Archivist and even myself, while I know that there is a process to amend the Constitution, I I didn't remember or I didn't know about the National Archivist role. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. So it passes Congress. The states are notified by the National Archivist, and then it has to be ratified by three-fourths of the states. And then that continues to be tracked by the National Archives and the Office of Federal Register. And then once that happens, there's an actual announcement when the correct number of states have actually ratified a proposed amendment. Now, you can also do a constitutional convention. And um, uh, the last time we did that was when we actually came back. We, meaning the United States as a country itself, came back and revisited doing a convention of states to make amendments to the Constitution. That has happened before. It's only happened actually once before in the nation's history, and that's when delegates were called back to fix the Articles of Confederation. and. You know, there's a movement right now. I think recently South Carolina has taken steps in joining the call for a convention of states to make amendments to the Constitution. Sounds a little bit like somebody has like a plan. (laughs) Somebody's plural has a plan because there are a number of states going down this road, going down this road. 
But, you know, South Carolina, if it continues down its process, would be the 18th state to call for a convention of the states. And for the convention to occur, two-thirds of state legislatures or 34 of the 50 would need to pass a bill asking for the same. Now, there are a number of people, including some of those in those states who want to do that because they want to, you know, change how big the federal government has gotten, try to kind of limit that. There's also some conversation about setting term limits for members of Congress and all of those things, you know, a lot. It's a lot to consider. But what we're going to talk about today, I have a guest that's going to join us after the break. We're going to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment, and we're going to have Carol Jenkins, who is the president and CEO of the ERA Coalition and the Fund for Women's Equality. They are sister organizations that are dedicated to the adoption of the Equal Rights Amendment. And we're going to talk in detail about that because some people believe it already passed. And then, like, there's this National Archivist role. And I don't know if you remember that there was some drama that happened regarding that during the previous presidential administration. So we're going to talk <laughs> about that and get all up to date about that and make sure that you are all caught up to date. And, you know, maybe there's some action that you can take regarding that. We're going to ask Carol Jenkins about that after the break. But right before we take a break, as you know, I've been talking to Mamas all across the country who are running for office in 2022. And I am so happy to be talking this morning with Jen Jordan. Jen Jordan is running in Georgia. And I had a wonderful conversation with her. She is a candidate for Georgia Attorney General. She's a current state senator. She's a fierce defender of voting rights and women and children. And she's determined to fight for justice and equality as attorney general. And so I had an opportunity to catch up with her and hear more about her campaign and why she's running. So Jen, tell us more about your campaign. Why did you decide to run? Yeah. So the reason that I decided to run for attorney general, you know, it, it was kind of a slow burn in terms of making the decision ultimately. But really what happened is as a state senator, and I've been serving since 2017, um, there were some really big issues that came up and particularly in my district, um, one of which dealt with a facility that was emitting um, toxins that cause breast cancer and, and various childhood cancers. Um, that I found out about and uh, went to the attorney general of our state and asked him to do something um, to try to protect, you know, not only my constituents, but me and my children. Um, and he refused to do anything about it. And that was kind of one of the first things that started to happen where I would go to him when there was an issue or request something from the office of the attorney general and and really, they wouldn't. They would never do anything, especially when it dealt with protecting people versus kind of partisan stuff. Um, and it, it just kind of became this drumbeat, where finally um, I decided I was like, you know what? If this guy isn't going to do his job, um, then by God, I'll do it. 
and and after January 6 with the insurrectionist that that kind of really was the final straw in terms of you know the Republican Attorney General's Association and then pushing folks to that stop the steal rally um, you know I'd, I'd had enough and it was about time that the people of the state actually had an attorney that um, put them first and was working for them every day versus um, some kind of partisan uh, issue or policy um, or or politician. I love that story because quite often it's moms or women that get mad about something of being ignored, community not being ignored right. uh, to take action. So I, I absolutely love this story. And speaking of that, running for office as a mom is not easy at all. What challenges have you faced while you've been balancing mom and running for office? So mom and candidate, if you will. Yeah, running for office and being a mother um, is difficult. But, you know, if you if you plan ahead, I remember my first session um, and my kids were a lot smaller than they are now. Um, but I literally packed up um, 60 days worth of snacks for the kids so that every morning they could go in and grab a snack out of the refrigerator um, because I wasn't going to be there to do it for them like I normally am. And it was like planning ahead and, and just making sure that, you know, the little things we're taking care of um, really made a big difference. And also including the children um, in the campaign and in the process. And one of the things I do is every night I go home and I tell them um, what happened. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'll do impressions of various people or, or, or talk about some of the policies or some of the issues. I'll let them watch, you know, whatever um, campaign speech or whatever speech I've made on the floor. And they really feel invested in um in the, not only the process, but also they're kind of part of this public service because they're having to sacrifice as well. So, the, you know, I think it's really just involving your children as much as possible, but also making sure that you have the support of your family. I think that's just the number one thing with respect to, to moms running. Okay, so I so identify with that as someone who just stood up until two in the morning over the weekend putting Valentine Day <laughs> packages together for my kids' class because I knew I wouldn't be able to do it any other night. So I, right. I love those stories. Yeah, I might have to borrow your like pack snacks uh, sixty days in advance situation. Man, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Now, with that, I mean, as you mentioned, talking about pre-planning, what piece of, a piece of advice would you give to a mom who's thinking about running for office? Yeah, I think the first thing is you have to um, have your spouse or partner on board, um, especially in terms of the children, because you really, there are going to be times when you can't be there. Um, there are going to be times you can't go to the doctor's appointment or you can't go um, to the school conference. And you just have to make sure that um, the person that you're with is going to be supportive and, and understand that they're going to have to really step up. I am incredibly lucky that I have a husband who adores our children and, and supports me. And um, I really could not have done any of this without his support. So I think that's number one. Um, and then I think from there, everything kind of just follows. 
it really is about kind of getting your foundation in place. And then once you get that set, you really can start to build. Thank you so much. And, you know, what, just the last one, last question I have for you is, what do you hope to accomplish you know, obviously, besides winning the campaign and being successful, what do you hope to accomplish on the campaign that will mirror how you will govern in your position should you win? You know, in terms of what I would like to accomplish with the campaign, even apart from just winning, right? I think I want the campaign to reflect really what my values are and what the values of the office of the attorney general would have if I win. And so what, what does that mean? Well, it means you're, you're taking into account um, different viewpoints. You're going into different communities and talking to folks because look, every, we are so diverse in the state of Georgia. I mean, up and down. And it's one of those things where something that may be a problem in North Georgia isn't a problem in South Georgia. And so you really have to go in, you have to talk to folks and you have to find out, you know, the challenges they're facing and, and then try to tell them and communicate to them how you can help them. Because I think, I think that's really important for folks to understand exactly, you know, kind of the limits of an office, but also what someone can do if you vote for them and you elect them. And then ultimately, I think I'm the, you know, hopefully I'll be the first attorney general, um, female attorney general elected in the state of Georgia. And I think just by running, I think it's significant. I think um, anytime little girls or, or kids can see um, people that aren't just, you know, white men running and winning, um, I think that that really makes them think about what they can do and what they can accomplish. Because really what you want, you want it not to be um, historic or different um, or special. You want it just to be the norm. And um, one of the, the slogans that we've been pushing out there, especially with little girls, is that girls can be generals too. And, um, and I think I just really want this campaign to be one of empowerment for little girls all over the state. We'll be back with more of Sunday Civics, those civics lessons you need to take civic action. All the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm your host and your civics teacher, Eljoy Williams. And joining us for a conversation this morning is none other than Carol Jenkins. She is the president and CEO of the ERA Coalition and the Fund for Women's Equality, which is working in getting the ERA amendment, which we're going to talk about in detail as she joins us. Carol, thank you so very much for making time to join us. Oh, it's my, my pleasure. Big fan. Right. Oh. All of your tremendous success. Thank you so very much. I really appreciate this. You know, I'm just going to say in general, and I said this at the top of the show, you know, reading and watching doc documentaries and, 
you know, all throughout my education about the amendment and to the fact that it's still not <laughs> something that's a reality doesn't really make any sense to me, but we'll get there in a, in a second. First, I want to start where we ask all of our guests to start, and that's by you sharing with us the story of your first civic action. Well, uh, I, I think that I would go to college, which is pretty late. Uh, you know, I like to think of, uh, of young people. You know, I, we have kindergartners and third graders and high schoolers, uh, you know, being civically uh, active. Uh, but for me, actually, and we're going back some time now, it was in college. I was at Boston University uh, during the Vietnam War, during the civil rights struggles. Uh, and uh, I guess the moment that uh, transformed me was a visit that some of the students uh, at Boston University were able to do to go to Lincoln, Nebraska, to hear Martin Luther King Jr. speak. He, of course, was riveting, and he, of course, transformed all of us who were, you know, who were there at that conference to hear what he had to say. He, you know, had been at Boston uh, University, as as many people know. And when I was in college, we spent more time picketing, protesting than we did in class, for sure. And that really was my college education, uh, getting out on those lines and protesting, uh, you know, Southern segregation, uh, a war that we didn't need to be in. There were so many things. Uh, the world seemed uh, to be so unwell and so many not right things were being done on our behalf uh, that we felt as students that we really had to express our opinion. And we did. I mean, I had friends who actually dropped out of college at that time to do protesting full time. I did not have exactly parents who understood, you know, that kind of dedication. So I finished college, went to graduate school and have been an activist uh, ever since. I do love the the throwback to your parents. It was like I had friends that did that, but my parents was like, you know, what we sent you to do. <laughs> <laughs> what we are paying for. <laughs> it's for you to go to school. Very clear about that. And in fact, after I graduated and decided that I wanted wanted to go to graduate school, they were like, "Okay, but this is it. <laughs> or you better make it worth your time." <laughs> was like, find a job post haste. <laughs> so I want to get into the meat of this discussion about the Equal Rights Amendment because let's start at the basis for people who are not nerds like myself and dare I say yourself, civics nerds, and sort of have the, the wealth of knowledge about the Equal Rights Amendment. Explain to folks what it is. So, and, and often people say to me, can you give me the short ERA story? And I, oh, you got plenty of time. <laughs> like There is no short version. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we've been at this for a hundred years. In uh, 1923, Alice Paul first introduced this amendment, which followed her success in getting the women's vote. Uh, you know, so that uh, what once they got the vote back in you know the the I mean ancient history, uh, Alice Paul understood that there was one more step that was required. Because as we can see now, women have been voting for 100 years, and it has not made the difference that we expected it to make in our, in our lives. So she proposed an amendment that would say explicitly 
one cannot be discriminated against based on one's sex. And at that time, what that meant and what we said for many years working here, the equivalent of that was, let's put women in the Constitution. What many people don't understand is that the rules that we're operating on are based in the Constitution of the United States, which when written, excluded a lot of people, women, the enslaved, the indigenous, the disabled, not even thought about, you know, gender persuasions, not about even thought about. But while all of those people and things were left out, the founders did give a process for amending for the future to add to whatever this document would, you know, would provide. And what I always say is that all of the work that we've been doing through these many years in trying to uh, find equality for women, for people of color, for people of different genders, uh, all of that work is work required because we were left out of the Constitution, the writing of who, what says, who has rights, who has protections, who has recourse, you know, to damage. Uh, so that uh, it's the source of sexism, it's the source of racism, misogyny, all the things that we're fighting against every single day in 2022 as we speak are based in that document, which did not properly include all of the people who live in this country. So that's what the Equal Rights Amendment is. Uh, and we can talk a little bit about the process and all of that, but so we're in, we're a uh, hundred years into this fight that simply says you cannot be discriminated against based on your sex. Yeah. You know, I have a copy in my, in my office of revolutionary constitutions and sort of really delving in to how other countries, particularly that developed post us, right? right? How they learned from previous mistakes of other countries, of their own country, of their own nation, and developed better con constitutions that sort of meet the moment, meaning they meet the current era. And we spend so much time here in the United States, I think, you know, sort of putting on the pedestal our constitution, the founders. And I think it kind of creates this sense that if we touch it in any way, if we tweak it in any way, that somehow we're saying the novelty and the greatness of its time, you know, we're erasing that, right? And not that, well, we're, we can actually make it better. <laughs> we can actually approve upon it. And as you mentioned, you know, where it was exclusionary, you know, that we can build a better constitution through amendments or, you know, some other kind of process in the future, we can actually build a better process. Let's get into that process that you talked about. What is the process for actually getting this amendment passed? So, so we will say that uh, the Equal Rights Amendment would be the 28th amendment, the 28th time that the Constitution has been amended. Uh, you know, the, it had to be amended, uh, you know, for uh, civil rights. It had to be amended for, uh, for so many things. So that it's not, uh, it's a hard process because uh, Article 5 of the Constitution says that it requires two things. Number one, passage uh, by Congress. And that happened uh, 50 years ago for the Equal Rights Amendment. And then it requires ratification by 38 states. And what that means is that then this document 
that has been passed out of Congress gets sent to all 50 states where state legislatures have to take it up and ratify it. Um, the complication for the ERA was that there was a what used to be called a deadline or what we refer to as a time limit imposed upon it, actually as an agreement for it to get out of Congress. So even then, I mean, we were, you know, we were 50 years into this process of submitting it, you know, to, uh, into Congress before it actually made it made it out. Uh, so a time limit was pl placed on it of seven years, the compromise for you know, for for women being in then at that time, the way the conversation went, included in the Constitution, a time limit was required. You only get seven years to set it to 50 states and get 50, uh, 38 of them uh, to ratify it. Uh, by the time those seven years were up, we had only gotten 35 states, which I think is a miracle in itself. But it was still three states short of what we needed. Uh, Advocates went back to Congress, got a three-year extension. So now we're talking about a 10-year time limit. Uh, and at the end of those 10 years, uh, we still were at uh, stuck at 35 states. So here's the thing about that time limit. It was not in the body of the amendment. It was nothing that any of the states voted on. Our view is that, therefore, that time limit is inoperative in terms of limiting the time necessary uh, to get the votes. We did get those 38 states in 2017, 18, and 2020. Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia, out of the blue, began to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. So in 2020, we had reached the 38-state threshold. We had met all of the requirements uh, set out in Article 5 of the Constitution. Uh, so, uh, uh, unfortunately for us, and we're standing there in Virginia as the 38th and final state comes through, uh, we all are standing there and we get notices on our cell phones. Well, wait, wait, wait. The uh, Trump administration has issued uh, an amend uh, uh, a memo uh, for the do uh, Department of Justice saying the ERA is inoperative, dead and gone because of the time limit. And so... Uh, we have that in the Department of Justice that we are still fighting because what happened was that the archivist, whose job it is to publish these amendments onto the Constitution and to get them in our hands so that when we hold a U.S. Constitution, it's fully representative of what has happened, uh, he refused to publish it because of that Trump administration memo. So, one of the uh, the aspects of the amendment is that it's it said three things number one what this uh, amendment does is that it says you cannot be discriminated on based on your sex number two this amendment shall go into effect two years uh, after the ratification of the last state and number three it gives us the laws to enact to make sure that this amendment gets done so on january 27th of 2020 two years after Virginia ratified, we declared the ERA to be fully operative. And we have over 200 constitutional scholars who agree with us and that that indeed has happened. Uh, what we don't have is the archivist still publishing it. And so what we're working on now is to get the Department of Justice to rescind the Trump administration memo uh, so that the archivist can indeed publish uh, uh, legally and lawfully uh, 
as it already has been enacted just by our having met all of the requirements, uh, publish it into the Constitution. So we don't need it, you know, for its validity. Uh, but we understand uh, that until it is published, there will be questions, there will be concerns. Wow, that's an interesting history in that standpoint, because, you know, to be honest, I didn't realize the Virginia <laughs> perspective. And so you're updating, you know, sort of educating me in this process as well. And it, it was simply of, you know, someone deciding not to publish information, how that can cause legal. You can see us and we're saying uh, we had a big celebration that day, you know. The, yeah. You know, we had a news conference with Senators Cardin and Macy Hirono, Congresswoman Spear and Maloney, all of our advocates. We did a rally in front of the White House. We had. You know, we took uh, petitions, 80,000 signatures to the Department of Justice saying to the archivist, come on, you know, publish this. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and people are saying, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. You, <laughs> you say that it's operative and we insist, yes, that's true. Uh, but we've got, you know, it's, it's a quirky kind of system. Uh, as we understand it, it's not a judgment call for the archivist to decide whether or not these uh, states have ratified or not. It's just that when the state legislatures have passed and he is just in a ministerial duty supposed to post, post it onto the constitution. So it literally was this department of justice memo uh, that, uh, that is holding us back. The attorneys general of those final three states have sued the archivist. And I do want to say this, you know, we've post, uh, painted the archivist through many years as this ogre, you know, holding up rights for everybody in the country. Uh, we actually had a meeting with him, uh, with the uh, chair uh, Maloney, and he turns out to be the head librarian, this really sweet guy, you know, who says, you know, I've always thought that it would be the crowning moment uh, of achievement for me if I could publish the Equal Rights Amendment onto the Constitution, you know, and we said, so do it. And he said, can't, you know, so, <laughs> so there, so there we are. And then, you know, he's also announced his retirement, which then complicates the situation because a right. new archivist would have to be nominated and confirmed by the current Senate that we have in the United States in the year 2020. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So with that thing, and I, I just want to continue the status here before I, I move on to some other aspects of it. What has been the view of the Justice Department and really the Biden administration on this issue? So we know that President Biden and Vice President Harris are longtime supporters of the Equal Rights Amendment and ran on it and promise to help us, uh, you know, in this. I head up a coalition where uh, almost 250 national and local organizations across the country representing millions of people. And so we're in a lot of these conversations about what happens, uh, you know, to this amendment. Uh, we know that they support it. Uh, we had not, however, gotten in the year that they had been in office. I, they may have had a few other things to concentrate on. <laughs> Right. Just, a, just a few other things. 
So we kept saying, you know, the gender policy, White House Gender Policy Council, you know, we're saying, wait a minute, where, you know, where are we? Where's the Equal Rights Amendment? We know you're doing Build Back Better. We know you have voting rights. We, all of this we agree and support and work on ourselves, but we need a statement about the Equal Rights Amendment. And uh, on the day that it became law on January 27th of 2022, the president issued a statement uh, saying, I fully support it. Uh, Vice President Harris tweeted about it. We fully support it. Uh, the only thing we got from the Department of Justice, though, was a clarification about that memo that the Trump administration had had put in to stop us, which was a better news, but not the news that we needed to fully support and clarify the issue. It said Congress and the courts should resolve this issue. So it pulled back from saying the Equal Rights Amendment is dead and God forget about it because of the of the so-called deadline, the time limit. Uh, so that was good news. So we got good news, but not great news because we work uh, in Congress and like so many other great ideas, we are totally stymied in the Senate. The House Representatives has twice removed the time limit uh, in two successive sessions of Congress. The Senate has failed to take it up. Uh, we do have 52 votes, you know, which puts us in better shape than many other uh, bills and actions that are in Congress. And what that is for the Senate to declare that the time limit is null and void and the Equal Rights Amendment should proceed and is in effect. So we've got the entire Democratic caucus uh, and the independents who caucus with them. Uh, we have the two Republicans, as Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, who have, you know, to their credit in this instance, although we argue with them on many other, in this instance, they have stayed with it through several sessions of uh, Congress. Uh, but we're like, you know, many others. How do we get to that 60 vote uh, approval of the Equal Rights Amendment? So we're yeah. stuck. So we're stuck in the Senate with that uh, SJ Res 1 to remove the time limit. Now, the House of Representatives has, on the 27th as well, introduced another resolution that goes further than just saying the time limit is removed. It says the time limit is removed and the Equal Rights Amendment is the law of the land. And uh -huh. so that's in the House. And so we would like the Senate to have a, co a compatible bill to go with that. But again, uh, it's subject to 60 votes in the Senate. So the way we phrase this is that we know that this country is ready and has been ready for the Equal Rights Amendment for years. We are held up by a few people in the United States Senate who refuse to acknowledge that. You know, our polling and, you know, those of others uh, who may not be so vested in the interest all come to the conclusion that over 80% of the, the American people who have been, the people in this country who've been surveyed, I want to expand that. It's just, you know, we get caught up by saying the American people, all the people who live in this country have been surveyed and they support equality for women they, or for all, because that's what it is. There are men who are going to be helped by this amendment. You know, certainly, you know, uh, as the Supreme Court you know, said in their Bostock decision that LGBTQ, you know, these are issues of sex. And so, you know, the amendment affects, uh, you know, everybody who identifies themselves, you know, in the non 
binary, you know, old fashioned way that we used to think about about ourselves is also included in this uh, in this amendment. Yeah. So, Kara, I'd like to go now to talk a bit about the I'm sure there are people listening. Right. And as you mentioned, you know, you don't need the clarification. It's law of the land. Right. But what does that mean for people? What does it mean to have the Equal Rights Amendment actually ratified? What does that look like as it pertains to employment, as it pertains to divorce, as it pertains to the ongoings that people in this country have and may have issues as it pertains to their sex? So what what does it mean for those folks? Well, I think it is an undergirding. It's a constitutional undergirding of as you know, most of the things that we rely on, or many of the things that we rely on to give us our rights and protections have to be reauthorized like the Violence Against Women Act. You know, a very tough uh, movement of reauthorizing something as simple, you know, and egregious as violence against women, where people said, wait a minute, let's move back, let's think about this, you know, where are we giving the money? What, you know, we're not sure. Uh, in pay equity, we've been dealing with pay inequity for so many years. You know, my, you know, team knows that I get furious every year when we mark the unequal pay day of women of color. You know, uh, black women. Uh, you know, for instance, that is a figure that hasn't changed except for maybe three cents over a thirty-year period. So we, for thirty years, as we have been marking the discrepancy between what black women earn and the white man in the previous year has stayed at 60, 63 cents. Uh, all of the work that's been done on diversity and I'm trying to uh, cure uh, this discrimination, uh, you know, has, has not resulted. And we know that we have vast improvements and we have individuals who've made extraordinary progress. And so we're not at exactly the same place that we were, but we are still women still are overwhelmingly the poor of this country. So in the pay equity uh, realm, it would be a constitutional undergirding uh, that would not expire every two years. Uh, it, it contains that ability to create law, new laws, stronger laws, more comprehensive laws that go expressly, you know, to the core of the problem. But again, you know, what, what it says, um, to Americans, to people living in this country who identify with our principles and with what we believe the Constitution says about equality and democracy, you know, it gives fulfillment to that. We really would be a democracy if we have this amendment uh, in the Constitution. So in every other aspect where people have spent their entire lives at some cases working on, we don't diminish that work at all. You know, but we want the consti this constitutional amendment to be the undergirding, the support, you know, for everything that's that's being done, you know, otherwise. So I would say in in almost every realm of the work that we're doing to achieve equality in this country, this amendment uh, would be uh, I think of it as perhaps the last line of defense, uh, seeing how rights are being pulled back from 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 women, especially and. You know, from from all of those who are described as, quote, marginalized, but who are simply not fitting into the white patriarchal image 
of who deserves to succeed in this country. So we're, you know, like going back to the, you know, the patriarchy, not only does it still exist, but the patriarchy is intensifying. I mean, how, and I'm sure you hear this too, you know, where you find people in Congress, you know, who should know better, you know, who are anti-women, you know, uh, uh, are, are upset because women seem to be taking over uh, their power. Uh, and, you know, I'll go one step further to say that this autocratic uh, authoritarianism uh, effort that we seem to be fighting against in this country also has to do with anti-women. It is not just anti-people of color or anti-gay uh, you know, people. It is anti-woman. And it's a power play that's being enacted in this country uh, that, the, uh, that we believe the ERA will be uh, extremely instrumental. And I quite frankly don't see anything else on the horizon that will get to the core of fixing the problems that we have. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I think as, as power is shifting to be more equitable, those who have been taught all of their life that they are somehow more special than others, you know, it's like they're, they're grasping on the way down. <laughs> it's just like one, you know, you don't have to go down. You can just be at level with all of us. Like you just, just don't have to be special. Like someone told you a lie that you needed to be up here above everybody else and you don't have to go below. Like we're not going to do to you what was done to us, but you know, the <laughs> voice of reason, you know, I yes. don't hear it very often, you know, although we, you know, in our universe, we keep saying this, you know, this, I mean, you know, just the, the Supreme court uh, discussion, you know, yeah. that, you know, dips into such misogyny and hatred. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yes, I say last slide of defense, it's the Equal Rights Amendment. And, you know, we see it in the building of our coalition where, you know, we've got unions, uh, you know, we have voting rights, you know, every sphere of the social justice movements are moving into the equal rights movement because they see we're in this together. So while we used to be this small niche of, you know, we were described as these crazy women who, you know, want the ERA, you know, are this broad-based band of minors, you know, in West Virginia who are signed onto our coalition, you know, all kinds of people who understand that, uh, you know, they were up against a, you know, a formidable enemy, and, and unless we move together, uh, we're going to be crushed, so... Yeah. So lastly, I want to ask, you know, teaching civics here on the show and also prompting people to action. What do you suggest people do now? What are actions they can take now to support the ERA amendment at this time? Well, uh, you know, we have actions directed uh, to the archivist, the Department of Justice, the president of the United States in the Senate. And if you go to our website at eracoalition.org, you will see all of those, uh, you know, sort of traditional um, active activations that are necessary, public awareness. We need people to understand what the ERA is, you know, that it's not some long ago whatever thing that really doesn't need to be addressed, that it's a, it is the last line of defense. But here is the thing that unless, you know, we all get, out and do something about the elections that are taking place in this country this year 
in 2020, we are all going to be in deep trouble. So the Equal Rights Amendment, you know, is very, uh, a coalition is very much uh, expecting to be engaged in the voting sphere. Uh, and it's voting from, I just heard this morning, you know, this idea of the school boards, you know, all of these things that we have lost track of. We've been concentrating on the top jobs for a, a bit too long. And I say in every single election that takes place in 2022, we have to watch it, be engaged in it in some way, uh, because, you know, that really is where our democracy is being taken away from us on the on the county level, the state level, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, where people who are deniers and, you know, January 6th participators are running for office to control the voting, who votes. And who counts the vote? You know, I mean, that to, to echo, you know, President Biden, who said it's not just who's voting, but who gets to count the vote after everybody has voted. And so I would say that if you are looking for action, you know, you need to look into your, into your neighborhood and, and your state, you know, and do whatever you can to make sure that people who, who support you are being elected. Uh, we have an election tool that will be, uh, introducing shortly. It's called Elect Equality. Uh, we used it during uh, the last election, big election, and that is uh, evaluating every single person running for Congress uh, on whether or not they support the Equal Rights Amendment, support equality. Uh, if they do, they get designated as an equality candidate. If they don't, I mean, and the last time around, we had people who were furious if they found themselves left off of you know, left off of this equality thing, because what you're talking about is the women's vote. You talk about the black woman's vote, you know, and if you don't have that, uh, you don't have much, I would say. So, um, so that's what, you know, what we're doing. We're participating uh, in the voting rights uh, of this coming year and especially this year. And if we don't, if we don't do it this year, we're going to be further behind because 2024 is going to be, you know, a knockdown, drag out fight for our country. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm insisting that we're going to win this one. We have to win this one because, you know, I can't imagine, uh, you know, living in a country uh, where uh, we have a dictator or we have people who are willing to bring down our structures of democracy. Um, so we've got to fight back. Well, that is a, definitely a lot to do in every election, whether it's a local election, the congressional election is important, as we've seen over the past couple of years. So even from the local level, in terms of secretaries of state and who the secretaries of state are and our state legislatures who actually draw the districts and decide who is going to be leading the elections in our state. All of those things are important. Ms. Carol Jenkins, thank you so much for taking an opportunity to share with us today. And I would direct everybody to go to the ERA Coalition website and see how you can take action. It's eracoalition.org. And Carol, thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you. I'm honored to be in your company and in conversation with you. Thanks. Thank you. We'll be back with more of Sunday Civics, those civics lessons you need to take civic action. How can it be?
Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I want to thank Carol Jenkins, the president and CEO of the ERA Coalition, for joining us for that conversation regarding the Equal Rights Amendment. I told you that you were going to be surprised about the archivist role <laughs> because I certainly was taken aback by that. I also want to thank Jen Jordan for telling us a little bit more about her campaign to be Georgia's attorney general. And I want to say thanks to all of you for making it to class this Sunday morning. We'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics, those civics lessons you need to take civic action. Have a great one. It's cool.